Saturday. Hello, hello. Welcome in to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 41. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer. You can find the Sports Kiki wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcast. We're available for you on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Don't worry. Wherever you can find your favorite PCasts, we are there. I have a great guest for you this week, so I won't blabber too much here. I'll get right to her. Two things you should know about Kirstie Miller. Number one, she's in Australia, which makes it two straight weeks. I've spoken to somebody on another continent. Last week was Rory McGrath, LGBTQ researcher. We had a great conversation, but he's in the UK. That's boring compared to Kirstie who's in Australia. So that's number one. And number two, uh, she's a trans athlete and has an amazing story. This week was Trans Awareness Week. We publish the stories of out and proud trans athletes all the time on OutSports, but this week we published a few more than usual to commemorate the occasion. Friday was the Trans Day of Remembrance as well. Uh, Our managing editor, Don Ennis, has an incredible and poignant op-ed about that day and what it means. Uh, check that out if you haven't, but, um, but this week was a big week for us. We published a litany of stories about out and proud and brave trans athletes and Kirstie Miller, in addition to being one of them is, uh, quite a passionate voice in terms of trans inclusion in sports. And basically I just asked Kirstie about the trans experience. What is it like? And what is it like to compete in sport? Uh, going through the transition, after transitioning, uh, because that's it remains such a hotly contested debate. And the point that I've always brought up is why would somebody go through all of the trouble of transitioning and the anguish and everything it involves just to win a track meet (laughs) or just to win a wrestling match or to win any athletic competition? It doesn't make sense. And you'll hear Kirsty say it. I mean, she transitioned because she wanted to be who she always felt she was. And it took her a lot, many years, many years to get there. This is not something that's done flippantly. This is not something that's done lightly. So it's a great conversation. Uh, I don't talk much, <laughs> but when someone's going like Kirsty is going, There's no reason to interrupt. So that's coming up on the other side. It's the Sports Kiki episode number 41. And we are back here on the Sports Kiki podcast, as promised. Very excited for uh, the woman who's joining us now. Kirsty Miller is a former rugby player, turned soccer player, world champion aquathon competitor, retired prison warden. Uh, Kirsty, am I missing anything? And welcome to the show. Uh, I think you've got pretty much, besides a taxi driver more, more in recent times, um, Australia's first ever transgender cabbie, so but you pretty much got it all. Thank you for having me on the show, Alex. It's super cool to talk to someone on the other side of the world. I'm like a little kid. Technology amazes me. Um, I know, so it's let's... amazing. <laughs> It's so, it's so bizarre. I'm, I'm so amazed everyone has a different phone number. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm totally, uh, but <laughs> regardless, um, I know you were on the transporter room, another one of our podcasts, uh, early this year with Don and Carly, but uh, for our audience, let's, uh, briefly, uh, 
explain your story and uh, how you came to join us here today. Absolutely. Um, well, I describe myself as a surgically transitioned woman. I'm a transgender woman. Um, I was born in, in, I'm an Australian girl, born in a country town called Wagga Wagga. And um, from about four years of age, I was, a, I was an athlete. I started playing my first game of rugby league at four years of age. Um, and I excelled in my first game, scored a couple of tries. And, and that was in the under sevens. And I continued on. I just had this passion from that age that every ball or every bike I could get on or every pool I could swim a lap. And, and, and yeah, I went on and I represented um, my state in four sports. Um, I was predominantly a swimmer and a rugby league player growing up. And I, I broke state records and made state teams in swimming. And, and then in 1979, I entered a sport called mod, um, aquathon, which is a, five kilometer run and an 800 meter swim and I was only just turning 14 and at this event there was was in my local town it was Wagga Wagga and, and I was known as the best little swimmer in Wagga and I was in Lake Albert's where I used to train and I had this world champion and five-time Olympic athletes there and and little old um, back then Warren at 13 and a half years of age and I went in and protected my lake and I actually come out in third place I was just um millimeters behind the current world champion and and that day changed my life um nine months later i was representing australia in my second uh, my second sport a sport called modern pentathlon um and I, I went on and competed at many world titles and pan american games and played first grade so you know sport's been a big part of my life but also going back to that four years of age alex um about three and a half years of age, I remember this particular incident in my life. I was the youngest child, the only son, Warren Jr. And about three and a half years of age, my dad one night they had a big party at the back. And for a joke, for some reason, they, they dressed me in a little yellow dress, Alex. And I knew back then that I was different. I knew, didn't know I was transgender, but I knew I was just something wrong that was different about me. I didn't feel comfortable. And they they put me in this yellow dress and took me out in the backyard and held me above his head and everyone laughed at me, Alex and me. And they just laughed and I thought to myself, if I ever come out as who I am, I'm I'm gonna you know, be laughed at. So that incident turned into a thirty year recurring nightmare every single day of my life. And um so you know, that's something I was very passionate about also from four years of age, sport now transgender stuff. And the third stuff I was passionate about in my life from about that same age, um, my men used to live down at Wollongong near Sydney and every couple of months we'd drive from Wagga as a young child and there was this massive big jail, the biggest jail in Australia, about halfway along and I was always intrigued with that. So from about four and a half years of age, I was very passionate to become a, you know, maybe work in the jails and in the year 2000, the year I came out as transgender, I was actually the serving governor of Broken Hills local prison out here. Right. So I was the first transgender girl. So yeah, that was my three passions in life and I've pretty much achieved them all so far. Wow. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with this. Um, so you're four years old. You're taking out an address, you said, and yes. you just, and that's a scarring and 
but you knew that something wasn't quite right. Just take me a little bit through your mind, through your childhood, because, you know, even me, you know, Kirsty, I'm 27. You know, I even look back at my childhood, which was not long ago, but even 15 years ago, there were not many visible trans figures out there. I mean, I wasn't even that familiar with it. I can only, I can't even imagine when it was like decades ago. Well, back, well, I'm from Australia, right? And a lot of people think that um, transgender people are a new thing, Alex. Um, Like Captain Cook didn't bring the first transgender person to Australia. We've been here since the First Nations people, but back me growing up in the 60s and 70s in a country town and a, and a rough country town, and and I was the only boy, Warren Jr., with massive expectations on my shoulder. Well, this this feeling that I had at four years of age, it was a it was in in me every single day, every moment of my life. That that it just consumed who I was. Um, and I grew up, Alex, like the most well-known kid in my school, in my town. Um, I was a sporting champion, mm-hmm. um, the best-looking boy. All the girls wanted to, to marry Warren growing up, you know, but I could not even look at myself in the mirror, Alex. I could not even look at myself in the mirror ever. I never, if I looked at myself in the mirror, I would physically get ill. And I had pretty much the body that every other, every male wanted to have, and, and I never wanted to have that. So it actually took me until I was around 40 years of age to see myself in the mirror and to be able to even recognize that person as being me, Alex. And then it took only until about five years ago that I was able to look Warren back in the eyes, the photos of Warren, and start to be proud of what I did as Warren. And, and five years ago, I put Warren back on my shoulder as a guardian angel because I discarded him in, in the year 2000 when I came out as Kirsty and, and tried to create this whole new persona because there's a lot of peer pressure from family, friends, like a girl doesn't act this way and that way. And, and I become a bit like a teenager, Alex. So it's a bit like the Spice Girls, I suppose. Um, at first I was Baby Spice, you know, and, and Scary Spice and I was definitely slutty Spice trying to find myself a bit, you know. <laughs> you know who among, us is, who breath, among but... us is not slutty Spice, though, if I can be honest? <laughs> well, then I, you know, I, I definitely became sporty Spice, and, and now I'm Grandma Spice, and that's probably the nicest Spice I've ever been in my life, you know. So it's been a real journey. Um, it's been a journey now where at 55 years of age, I can finally say... I've got absolutely no regrets. Um, I wouldn't change my life anyway. If you said to me, go back to four years of age, Kirsty, and we could give you a pill and you won't have to go through all that and you could have just been worrying and happy, I couldn't do that, Alex, because that's not me. That's not me, you know? Yeah, and I mean, but what's amazing to me is I'm listening to your story and I can only, you know, if I get like a bad email from a boss, it sends my day into a tailspin. I can't imagine... Uh, living with that anguish that you were living with and still excelling in so many areas of your life as you were, whether it was as a rugby player on the athletic field, you were, you know, advancing in your career. Um, how did you do it? Alex, um, well, probably sport in two ways damaged me and helped me. 
in number one, it damaged me because it put me in the spotlight and I couldn't be that person in the corner because from the moment I grow up, the, the day I was born, my father crashed the car because he was so excited to have Warren Jr. And, and I cannot underestimate the, the expectations that my dad placed upon my shoulders to be his little man. And I, how I coped, I manned up in a big way and tried to make it go away. So I became the best boxer, the best swimmer, the best runner. Um, anything I did, I just put my absolute passion into it. Um, I, I got married very young, fell in love with the, the, my childhood sweetheart and mother of our three children and yeah, and put myself into a career which you can't get much more masculine than a, a prison officer. And, oh. and I wasn't just a prison officer. I was renowned as a, the toughest screw in the system and the youngest prison governor in New South Wales prison history. So the day that I came out as transgender, oh, that was big news, Alex, because I didn't tell anyone except my family. And the, the first day I went to work in Broken Hill, outback New South Wales, which definitely isn't Darlinghurst or St Kilda or it wasn't Priscilla Town back then, you know. Um, big news in the, in the town that, oh, my God, it's been run by a trans girl 20 years ago, but in the Department of Corrective Services, within five minutes, it's like Warren Miller is transgender. And, and I was renowned through the system as the toughest guy. So it was sort of like, um, I don't know, Usain Bolt coming out as trans today, you know, like in the running community. It was huge. Um, I got a phone call from my commissioner, a guy called Ron Woodham. And Ron was the only prison officer in New South Wales Corrections history to go from a base grade prison officer all the way through to commissioner. And this guy built Department of Corrections Services, the toughest man I've ever met in my life. And probably the last time he would have had a tear in his eye would have been in the 1974 Bathurst prison riots from the tear gas, Alex. Well, the day I come out as transgender, I got a phone call from Ron and I was his golden haired boy up to this moment. And he said to me, pardon the pun, he goes, what the fuck's going on in Broken Hill? And I'm sitting at the governor's desk in Broken Hill with lipstick on for the first time, you know. And I go, well, sir, I'm a woman. And he goes, well, he says, get yourself and your wife down to Sydney today. So I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. So we get on the plane and fly down to Sydney and, and the commissioner picks me up at the airport and he listens to my story from what we're saying today from three and a half years of age. And before we got through mascot, Ron Williams crying yeah. his eyes out. And, and, and he said, don't worry, um, we'll look after you. And, and they did. They really did, Alex. Um, that was probably a really emotional day in my life, you know, so I'm a bit crazy right now, but I'm really glad I did it because um, the only way for transgender people to, to just dispel these beliefs about us is positive visibility. You know, visibility just kind of dispel and, and disprove the lies that these people tell about us, you know? So... I was really happy I got that chance to do, do that as a, a transgender prison governor. And I, I went on and worked for about another five years as a prison governor, as a transgender person. And, and it was like such a relief because yeah. 
I'd worked in maximum security, Alex, in the high security unit in strict cellular confinement with people that had been locked up in these tiny rooms for years, you know. And a lot of prison officers would, would say, like, you know, how hard it is for these people in segregation. I would have swapped any time to get out of the inside the imprisonment I had inside my head, Alex. It was far more stricter than what the people, the murderers that were in these strict cellular confinements because they got an hour a day to escape. I never got an, a minute out of my whole life to escape gender dysphoria until I got the day to come out as who I was. And that was like being released from jail. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, I'm a bit crazy there, Alex. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I got you. That's uh, quite a metaphor. Is that, is that, is yeah, I was working in a jail inside a jail sort of thing, you know, within inside a jail. So I was a prison governor with the keys, but I was the person probably most entrapped out of the whole correctional centre. But I was amazed. It wasn't only just Ron Wooden that accepted me, you know. It was my fellow officers accepted me. Mm-hmm. Mind you, it helped. I had a crown and a few stars, you know. But it was the prison inmates they totally accepted me the 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 jail i was running was an aboriginal jail um from day one those boys said look at how you were honest look at you you know they, they respected my honesty um did my 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 service no harm i actually i actually um probably was a, excelled at my best my last three four years in the job because I didn't have that burden of gender dysphoria. Um, <clears throat> I was definitely better at finding things too, Alex, you know, being a girl. So that, that's definitely a help when you get escapees as a prison officer. So, you know, and my sick leave went down a bit, so that helped as well. And in 2004, I was awarded the Governor's Governor of the Year Award. So, yeah, you know, being transgender doesn't stop your performance and all that stuff, it doesn't define us. Um, I proved that in the workplace and you know, and then I've come on in the workplace and I've, in more recent times I was a regional manager of um, the largest Indigenous employment service agency in, in Australia and, and I had nine transgender people working for me out of 74 and 72 Indigenous people working for me and, and being transgender has not held me back in one shape, in one little bit, Alex, it's actually helped me who I am by being very open, very loud, very proud, not hiding who I am, yeah. not running away from my past. I, and I see being trans as being a bit of a superpower, you know? Yeah. It's unique. Uh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be who I am. And I want every child that is growing up <clears throat> trans now might be thinking, you know, is it, is it you know, what's the future going to be like? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I can tell every young child it's going to be fine. I love that. It and explain and explain your relationship with sports, because uh, since transitioning in, in 2000, uh, you remain competitive. I mentioned you're a world champion aquathon competitor. Uh, you, you've kept you kept your love of sports in, in competition. Um, Alex, with sport, I'll go back because I think a lot of people want to hear how it changes. You know how, how yeah. it affects performance. So, you know, and, and firstly, like. For a lot of transgender people, they lose their families. You know, they lose their friends. And, and if, if they're lucky enough to find a sporting home, that could be the sporting family. So 
number one, it's really important, you know. It's really important. But my last year of football was just before I, I, I finished my last year of football and pretty much started the hormone therapy treatment. And in 1999, and I was still the strongest, biggest, toughest on the team, and, and I could still swim at 59 seconds for a 100 metres freestyle, and you know, I could still do a 10 and a half minutes for a three-kilometre run. But um, I started taking it the start of 2000, um, a drug called Andrica. And Andrica is a, uh, it's a drug, it's a, uh, any depri- uh, androgen deprivation treatment. It's the same drug they give to prostate cancer sufferers to chemically castrate them. The same drug they give to some sex offenders in some correctional jurisdictions to chemically castrate them. So that's one side to kill the T off. The other side is you get the estrogen, which helps develop the, the, a delayed puberty. So I get all the secondary sex characteristics of a female. So pretty much when I started taking this stuff, within about two weeks, I started getting these really weird hot flushes, Alex, like, like I was yeah. pregnant or something, you know, like, and I was getting all these mood changes. Number one, I was like, because I'm having the testosterone level fighting estrogen, so it was like a mental anguish. And then I started getting tired. And and then one, then I had this man once at his cafe went over me and served me a coffee. And and I and my wife was there at the time, and I, he went away. And I said to my wife, I said, does he smell nice, that guy? And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, you know, that's the first person, man, I've smelled in my life. And she goes, and then I realised that my body odour had changed. It had gone from a male smell to a musky smell. And then my skin was softening and my breasts were growing. But as far as sport was going, I was getting very tired, Alex. Like yeah. very quickly, very tired. And over the first 12 months, your, your, your um, haemoglobin levels drop about 15%, which is massive in, in sports performance. So that's the first thing you notice. Your muscle mass loss. You know, it depends where you start from. You know, and I started at the pinnacle as a you know, pretty much a world champion athlete, the dual international. So, and I went in 12 months, Alex, on the 59 second 100 meter freestyle to battling to do 70 seconds. I'd lost over 11 seconds almost in, in 12 months. You know, so there's about 200 things change in your body every single day. And a, a lot of people think, oh, it's just HRT. Now, if we take away the words Hannah or Kirsty or, or, or Ivy or, or Juniper sure. and just look at the, 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 the physical side of things, right. XY physiology, our primary hormone is testosterone. Take that away from anyone, including transgender people. Don't forget us. That takes away health and it takes away performance. There's no ifs and buts. People have got to look way above you know, the sports science. So you know, it definitely does minimize performance but yeah I, I found sport right I, I i went away from sport for quite a few years I, I i played casual sort of stuff you know but i got back into organized sport in the year 2013 um i, I came out to broken hill after a period of homelessness um i, I was a gang rape victim alex in 2010 in sydney and oh i had about 18 months of homelessness and Ended up coming out to Broken Hill and got some social housing and and all these girls and and people around my community were saying, why don't you come have a game of football? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed. 
you know. Yeah. And they went and found out. So they come and saw me. It wasn't me banging on doors or anything. And and then I had a soccer club at the same time. So everything's great. And I went and played my first game of soccer, and it was brilliant. And played my first game of AFL. It was great. And and then about in my fifth game of AFL, um, it was like it was a grudge match between the Northies and the Southies out here. It's like it's like World War Two these days, right? In football days, it's like still today in 2020, if a Northie marries a Southie, it's like frowned upon. You know, it's very very important football in Broken Hill. It's very crucial to the community. Yeah. So, having a transgender girl playing North versus South. It didn't go over very well. And um, I got vilified on the field. I got um, asked to show my genitalia. I got a number of times accused of having AIDS. Um, I, I got accused of spreading diseases. And this didn't come from just the players. It came more from the coaches and the officials and, and the guy waving the flag and, and, and the crowd. And I went off the field immediately and I thought, what am I going to do, you know? What am I going to do? Here I am in the middle of a football over. Everyone hates me. What am I going to do? So I thought, I'll write a report. The first thing I asked was, please, please, please do not punish anyone. I don't care what happened. Don't punish anyone. But please investigate it. Please, let's get some education, you know? So things went on for a couple of weeks and and I was starting to get a feeling that I was starting to be ostracised and and threaten if I ever talk about it, that I'm going to be blackballed in this community. And Broken Hill's got a history, and this is where the union movement started in Broken Hill, right? So I've come out to probably the most unionised town in Broken Hill and tried to take it on, right? So I ended up having the whole town turn against me, Alex, because the, the, the abuse went from the field to the community. I had my house smashed. Um, my partner and I had our house invaded. A guy did... 12 months jail, we were attacked at a, a club here and and I'd just come from two years of homelessness and I thought, I'm not going to run away. So I went back to that, what I thought when I was a prison officer, what's the only way that's going to change things? It's not run away, it's not sue them, it's going to be positive visibility, visibility that'll prove the lies of the people that vilified me and the lies of people that say we've got this advantage and all this stuff. So... How are we going to do that? We, they wouldn't let us play football. I was still allowed to play soccer, and the same girls played soccer. And I was actually team captain, so did the second year, but this is an AFL town, the ball. And we weren't only just blackballed from playing the game, we were blackballed from going to see the game, Alex, you know. And the social fabric revolves around the four football clubs, so we were cut out from the community. So I said to Nikki, let's go and drive that, get our taxi licence. And let's go and meet these buggers one fair at a time. And then we did, right? And it was yellow cabs. Number one, I looked awesome in yellow, Alex. I've got a lovely tan and blonde hair. And, and I started driving this bloody taxi cab in Broken Hill with these miners and these, and these drunks and these... And I copped a lot of hard times, right? Um, I, I, the major yeah, well, football league, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I, have... I, I, I just no, I, I just want to say though, I mean, like it's um, it, you know, you talk about all of those excruciating times, and you know, what gets said so much about trans athletes is, uh, you know, trans women athletes in particular is, oh, they're just uh, 
you know, they, they're doing it to get a competitive advantage. So they can win the race or win the competition. And I mean, going with all you went through, like, boy, that'd be a lot to go through just to have a, a oh. physical uh, advantage. I mean, really. The common thing I, I hear is, number one, we don't win because we were mediocre men. Well, Percy was never mediocre. I beat every man in the world in my sport, right? And the other thing is we transitioned to win medals. Well, I've got right. a truckload of medals. You can have as many as you want, you know? We, 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 we don't transition. We affirm who we are, you know? And, and we just want to play sport like everyone else. We just want to work in the bank or right. be a policeman or be a... There's no big mystery to it, you know? Take away no. all the mystery. We're not, just, just be quiet and listen to us, everyone, you know? We know well, exactly, right. Else. Yeah, and the I amount did, of and the yeah. amount of suffering that and, and pain and, and just how big of a deal it is to transition your body like nobody would do that well, flippantly, Alex, and that's the point that yeah. My childhood sweetheart and I, for me to get my birth certificate amended to female, which is very important number one for my safety, you know, um, we were forced to be to be divorced. The New South Wales government at that time has only been repealed in about eighteen months ago, but. We were forcibly divorced and we were still in love and we had three children and we went as a family and our family was divorced and I collapsed on the floor of the Parramatta Courthouse. So I didn't transition to win medals, you know. I definitely didn't transition to win medals. I, I transitioned to survive. Yeah. I wouldn't be here now, you know. And... And one thing I've noticed, Kirsty, and how we connected, in addition to you being uh, an Outsports A-lister, is just uh, how passionate you are on Twitter about transgender issues, trans inclusion in sports, etc. Uh, why do you keep up the fight uh, online so much, as much as uh, you do and as strongly as you do? Um, when I tell you this, it'll make every crystal clear why. Um, the, the day that I was vilified that was coming about here at... Um, Memorial Oval when I was accused of having AIDS. There was a young trans person watching the game. And this young trans person, I was the only person in the world back then and still today that we've had the courage to come out to. And they're a star football player in this town, right? And they were there, their clubs vilifying me. Their family's vilifying me, their coach. And they rang me that night, I was vilified. And they said, Kirsty, I'm going to die. Look at you. You ran jails. You're tough. You're this. And I said, damn. I said, I'm not going to give up on this until everyone can play the game and not get accused of AIDS, right? And that's why I started driving taxi cabs to, to break down the barriers in my town. And that's why I get on here to talk about sport because I know there's no advantage. I've got three children, three daughters, Six grand, uh, seven grandchildren, six granddaughters. Kirsty Miller would be the first one to put her hand up in the air to say the sports policy for transgender people is tip the balance in favour of transgender people. Because I've you know, two passions in sport I've got is maintaining the integrity of women's sport, and the other is to get as many trans people in the maximum amount of sports possible, you know? And, and not yeah. one tips the other. So no. I'd be the first, you know, the absolute first. And anyone knows Kirsty knows that that is the truth. And I have put my hand up. I, I copped a lot of abuse when Hannah Mounsey first went to play the game because I thought she may have needed maybe another 12 months before she played a game, you know, because 
we've got to be honest in this discussion and we can't silence you know both sides so and the concerns and fears have got to be heard but you know we've got to lead the discussion as transgender people it's got to be focused on us we've got to be the center of this not people talking about us and developing policies thinking that we'll you know like them we've got to be the center of it Kirsty Mil- from, from start to finish and she's and you're in the center of it uh, online. You're a great follow. I've uh, connected with a lot of great people since joining Out Sports, and you were one of them. Kirsty Miller. You can follow her on Twitter. She isn't doesn't sound like a great follow. She is. Follow her on Twitter at Kirsty Miller. That's K I R S T I Miller thirty. Uh, Kirsty, thanks for joining me on the show today. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been a great experience. <laughs> So thank you all for tuning in to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. And of course, a big thanks go out to Kirsty Miller for taking the time and coming on the show. She's a she's a hell of a character, is she not? Uh, enjoy Thanksgiving, however you're celebrating. Be safe regardless. Um, it's been a tough year, to say the least, but here we are. We're making it through, so be thankful for that. I'll talk to you next on the show next Saturday after Thanksgiving. So talk to you then. So long.